Major themes, apostles are mentioned throughout the book of Acts, 25 times in the book of Acts, more than any book in the Bible. Prophets are rarely mentioned in the book of Acts, but they are mentioned more in other epistles of Paul. <clears throat> but prophecy itself is a common theme. <clears throat> I want to mention something about prophets and prophecy. The New Testament the New Testament as we know it does not carry over the Old Testament prophet in a duplication form. In other words, um, for instance, the Bible, Jesus said, Jesus himself said in Matthew 11, that John the Baptist was the end of the Old Testament prophets. So that means if it is a New Testament prophet, it's not going to look like the Old Testament prophet. The Old Testament prophet, and there were a lot of them, were uh, the voice of God calling Israel back to repentance or those that actually spoke the words that we now have recorded as the books of the prophecies in the Old Testament like Ezekiel or Isaiah or any of the other prophets that are mentioned in the Old Testament. So there's something different about the New Testament. Now let me mention that in a second. There are few prophets that are mentioned in the New Testament. It says in the book of Acts, chapter number 13, that in the church of Antioch there were prophets and teachers. So we know that they were individuals different than the man who is mentioned twice, whose name is Agabus. Agabus is mentioned twice in the New Testament. The first time he prophesies, accurately the second time he prophesies semi-accurately. <laughs> the first prophecy is on that there would be a major famine throughout Judea and there was. The second time he prophesies that Paul himself is going to be arrested by and taken captive by the Jews. They are the ones that instigated Paul's, uh, Paul's arrest, but they didn't do it. It was the Romans that did it. So it was a prophecy in part. Now the Bible says that we all prophesy in part. So before you get too impressed with prophecies, understand they're in part. Nobody speaks what I call ex cathedra except Jesus himself and the Holy Spirit as it relates to the words of God. So the book of uh, Corinthians, the 14th chapter, has more restrictions than any chapter in the entire New Testament, and it demands you judge prophecy. You're not unspiritual to judge prophecy. You're spiritual. <laughs> you have to judge prophecy. Before I was married, the woman that prophesied that I would marry her daughter was not the mother of my current wife. So I told her that I hadn't heard from God <laughs> what she had just said. So I would not take that as a prophecy until I heard from God. And I never heard from God, thank God. <clears throat> when I heard from God, it was not. Prophecy in the New Testament is not to be directional in most cases. And I would say nearly all cases. 
In other words, you have the Holy Spirit living in you 24 hours a day, so why would he use somebody to tell you to do something that could contradict what the Holy Spirit says inside you? I just, that doesn't even make sense to me. Secondly, it was rarely used in the New Testament, and one time it was totally ignored by Paul. If Paul had listened to Agabus, we would not have half the New Testament. Paul wrote 14 of the books of the New Testament out of 27. If Paul had listened to Agabus, we would not have those books. Paul would not have gone to Rome. Paul would not have given to us the prison epistles. Paul would not have given to us the pastoral epistles. Paul would not have been Paul as we know him, except he ignored, quote unquote, a man who said he was a prophet. My wife was talking to Cindy Jacobs. She says she has 500,000 people on her Facebook. And Debbie says, do you have any list of all the, all the people, you know, all of the people that are on? Do you have a list of the prophets? She said, that's the most difficult thing, trying to get a handle on who the prophets are. Because as soon as you identify them, they do something weird. <laughs> it's because I think we've missed it. I think we have tried to sound so spiritual, like we go around saying, I have a word of the Lord for you. I have a word for the Lord. I get a message every day. God told me. I said, oh, sure. I really do. Because the Holy Spirit speaks to us all day. But, you know, continually, it is so natural. Why do you have to say God said? It is just as natural as breathing. In fact, if it gets weird, I suspect that it probably wasn't from the Holy Spirit. It's from pizza the night before, but it wasn't the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm saying that to say that leads me into another point. And that is that I believe God is continually speaking prophetically to the church. And I do believe in the what we call office of the prophet. I believe that. I believe that. I believe we hear prophets today. I believe that God has prophets today that have been tested over a long period of time. I believe Ron Campbell is a true prophet of God. I believe Lou Engle is a true prophet of God. I believe that, uh, that uh, Cindy is a true prophetess of God. But it doesn't mean you should not test this, the words that they say. You have to. You're obligated to. I think we have true prophets. But I believe that the spirit of prophecy is the spirit of the book of Acts, mm -hmm. right. which is that God is still talking. He never got silent after the first century. Jesus, uh, Paul makes it very clear that the Holy Spirit continues to reveal the mind of Christ to you. Corinthians chapter 2, he continues to reveal the mind of Christ. I don't think you have to be spiritual or weird. I think you, as you're full of the Holy Spirit, it just naturally comes out. I'm not even sure you need to say, I have a word for you, because then, then who can trump that? You know, like, well, I heard from God, but oh, wow. And by the way, every major Christian cult leader has always claimed that they have a unique word of the Lord. Every major current cult leader, as well as for the last 2,000 years, I have a word. Of, well, how do you trump that? If you heard from God, I guess is, you know, who am I to say it might not have been? Well, I'm here to tell you, if it says anything contrary to the scripture, it was not. Amen. God will never contradict the word because it was given by the mouth of the Holy Spirit through the mouth of David, through the mouth of the prophets. Amen. 
But I believe that God uses us in a very natural way. You don't have to be spiritual. You don't have to be weird. You don't have to sound like a kook. You know, ooh, I feel something moving in the room that's getting mystical. Turn the lights out. And I said, no, keep the lights on. <laughs> the Holy Spirit doesn't need a dark room to talk. A seance does, but not the Holy Spirit. But I believe God speaks through people. And I believe that is a pattern of the New Testament is that He speaks through people. I believe it, I believe it, I believe it. And I believe when the Holy Spirit has spoken through you, if it truly was the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit in me will say yes. Because the Holy Spirit is a confirming spirit. Is that correct? That's the law of God. That's the law of God. It will be confirmed because God who speaks through, and, and have you noticed that the entire body of Christ moves like a wave? Yes. You'll start seeing waves of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And it's like, how did that preacher know the preacher there was preaching the same thing today that that preacher was preaching over there that a thousand miles away and 10,000 yeah. miles away, somebody else was preaching yeah. the same? It's because it's the same Holy Spirit. Yes. Thank God for the Holy Spirit. He is the living, vibrant word of Jesus to me. I am the body. We are the body of Christ. I'm not the body. We are the body of Christ. And God, how many know that God can speak through the most, what should I say? Like, you're kidding me. God spoke through them. Like, and I've, I've been in meetings where, I've been in meetings where everybody had their great ideas and one person said, can I say something? And now one person says, can I? That was God that spoke to the one person. All the other people that pontificated were just full of hot air. And then God uses somebody, a little squeaky person over there. I just feel God. (laughs) Wow, God just showed up because I believe in the spirit of prophecy. The spirit of prophecy, Revelation 19, is the spirit of Jesus. Is that verse 11? The spirit of prophecy is the spirit of Jesus. I don't know how you can have the spirit of Jesus without having a spirit of prophecy. But I think we've weirded it out. I think that because of my Pentecostal background, we used to get, you know, just have some strange ways of doing it, start shaking or something that would happen, you know. And the prophecies were always preceded by, thus saith the Lord. And I think this is the Lord. You know, we, we would we have all these dumb things, but it was our attempt back then. And by the way, beginning of the Zeusa Street, it was very pure, but it got weird when racism stepped in. It got weird when racism stepped in. But it was so pure in those early days, it was so pure. And then it, all these denominational in-house fighting stuff, things that happened in the book of Acts. But I think I think it's it, it was our affectations. We thought it was... Even as we preached, we had to scream because we thought that was anointing. The louder you get, that's God moving. <laughs> that wasn't God moving. God moved to Elijah in a sweet, still, small voice, not in the earthquake, not in the fire, not in the wind, not in the earthquake. In a sweet, still, small voice. I, we got all these affectations that you have to shake or you have to quake, but it was all in it. I believe it was, the attempt was good. We want to do what it says here. They prophesied. They prophesied. They spoke in tongues. They had messages in tongues. They had, they had, uh, they had interpretations. It was in an attempt, but we put on these affectations. 
whenever we allow, the more natural it is, the more likely it is to be the Holy Spirit. And the stranger it gets, I was telling the guys in the car yesterday, we had a very simple lady in our church. She prophesied, she loved to prophesy. She said, yea, my children, thus saith the Lord, go to Mexico or go to Africa or go to India. I don't care where you go, just go. <laughs> you know, it could have been God. They said, just go. That was his message, just go. Very simple lady. And I, I just think, let's keep it simple, but understand God still prophesies continually continually, and you are obligated by the Holy Spirit to say yes and amen whenever you hear a prophetic word from somebody. It could be in a message. It could be the only thing they said in a message that God said, that's me. Did you listen? Right. Or it could be individualized or people sit in your congregation and say, you know, what really blessed me was when you said, and you look think back and say, I didn't say that. But the Holy Spirit said it while you were talking to them, and it was very real. I just, I just think we need to embrace the prophetic as being for the church today. Not a weird addendum, but part of what God is doing in the church today. And the apostolic ministry that I've already taught on, and if you need my notes and my messages on the apostolic, I believe that if you've been sent anywhere by the Holy Spirit, don't call yourself that, but do it. Get rid of the titles, but do the job. If you've been sent, do it. I mean, the disciples were hardly, hardly followers of Jesus when he sent them out as apostles, and he called them apostles. Sent ones, apostello. Just do it. Be sent. But if God didn't call you somewhere, don't go. I don't care how much compassion you have. If God didn't burn your bush and you didn't bring the matches... <laughs> I mean, if your bush didn't burn, I don't care what a great idea it is, don't do it. Because unless you've had a burning bush experience, you won't be able to sustain through the long haul. Right. But you need to know that you know that you know that you know. And if you were sent, operate in sentness without titles. Without titles. Number 10, the church didn't have church buildings. So they operated from wherever they were. They preached in the synagogues. They preached in the synagogues and they preached out in the open air the majority of times. They didn't have buildings. They didn't have buildings. They met openly. And by the way, can I tell you this? When it says they met in the temple, you can throw up a picture of the Temple Mount, Will the Temple Mount, and uh, when they met in the temple, uh, now we're talking about a massive building probably the size of our house. The tabernacle was much smaller, but the temple was bigger, but it was small in comparison to the few acres that the Temple Mount sat on. It was small, and you could not go inside the temple unless you were a priest at a designated time. So you had to be in one of the courts, or you had to be in the Gentile court, or you had to be in Solomon's temple. You had to be somewhere. So it said they met in the temple. They didn't mean in the temple. They meant in one of the courts of the temple, which means outside. Uh, are you catching what I'm saying? Uh -huh. When it says in the temple, 
that you couldn't get in the temple, only a few people and if you were designated as a priest. So on the Temple Mount, this is just a few, this is a few acres. This is just a few acres. It could hold a lot of people if there were no buildings there. And Solomon's temple would have taken just a small little area of the Temple Mount. They say it could have held 75,000 people. That means how many could have heard Peter on the day of Pentecost? 75,000 people. But that's just a small area if you're going in the temple. So if it says they met in the temple, it doesn't mean in the temple, unless you're a priest or you want to be struck dead. But you had to meet in the temple courtyard and the biggest was on the eastern side, and it hung over the Kadron Valley. This is the Kadron Valley. It hung over the eastern side of it. It was called Solomon's Porch. And it had colonnades, and it was outside of the main courtyard of the temple. That's where they met. If you were a Gentile and you walked into the courts at that time, this is why only Jews were saved on that first day, was because you would be stoned if you were a Gentile. And there's warning signs, and that's why they were all men, because there were warning signs for the women and the Gentiles. That's why Jesus had to bring persecution to his church to get out to the Gentiles and to the women, or nobody could be saved except the Jews. So they met, and this is the point, they met daily in the temple or from house to house. That was the church. I recommend all churches start in houses. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you understand that's where the church was birthed, in houses and from, church, and from the temple. Okay. Uh, prayer is continually mentioned through the book of Acts. They prayed all the time. Chapter number 1 through chapter number 16, every single chapter mentions prayer except chapter 15. Why was prayer never mentioned in chapter 15? It's when the denomination met for their denominational meeting. That's true. The Church of Jerusalem had a meeting, and not one time is prayer mentioned. It seemed good to the apostles, good to the elders, good to the congregation, but no prayer was ever made. It is alluded to in chapter 5 rather than actually stated. But the reason we know it was a prayer-filled session was because it took place in Solomon's portico, which was the place of prayer. Okay? Uh, uh, Point number 12 under the main themes. Demonic activity accompanied is a common accompaniment during the times of revival in Acts. We mentioned earlier the book of Acts mentions the resurrection more than any book of the Bible, the resurrection. If there is no resurrection, none of you are saved. Let's go home. If there is no resurrection from the dead, it doesn't matter that Jesus died, was crucified. If there's no resurrection of the dead, nobody is born again. If there's no resurrection from the dead, you will not be resurrected from the dead yourself. If there's no resurrection from the dead, the Bible's a lie. Paul is a liar. Jesus is a liar. 500 people that saw him at one time are liars. All the disciples are liars. And why would they ever give their life for something that never happened? Because out of the 12 original disciples, 11 of them were martyred. 11 of them were martyred. Only one of them survived. John the Beloved on the Isle of Patmos. All others died 
if the resurrection is not true. So they all spoke on the resurrection because if the Messiah is real, he will be raised from the dead. You will not let your Holy One see corruption. In other words, you can't spend more than three days in the grave. You got to come out of there before the fourth day or your Holy One will see corruption and this entire thing is off. So the resurrection is an absolute necessity for the genuineness of everything else. Question, comments? Um, you know, we, we tend as teachers and preachers to, to excerpt passages of the Word, but I had not read the full book in a long time. And I did that on one of our recent trips. I did it in the airplane. And something like Larry just mentioned about the resurrection, but something that just stood out to me that I had not captured in all of these years. And we know that it often speaks of the resurrection, but what I didn't see as a pattern was every one of the um, people that Larry mentioned in the book of Acts. So beginning with Peter and then Stephen and Paul and so forth. Uh, when they went to a new area and they began teaching, they always talked about the good news. And the good news is that Jesus died. You put him to death. Of course, that was their audience. But the grave couldn't hold him. What you tried to make happen wouldn't happen. He is alive. And I started thinking back over just time, us in leadership, preaching, how seldom we actually in the pulpit state. Jesus, man took, attempted to take his life and not believe, but Jesus rose from the dead. He is alive. And it was the resurrection that then preceded the miracles. So we never are to preach on miracles, healing, signs and wonders, and try to make those happen without establishing the good news to the people that Jesus died with the intention of man because they rejected him, they didn't accept him, and they put him to death so he would be gone and gone forever. And we wouldn't have to deal with this man and God said, sorry, he's not going to stay dead. He's still going to continue to make his impact on this earth. I'm raising him from the dead. And it was the declaration and actually the revelation of that very fact that released miracles, released the prophetic, released the signs and wonders. And we seldom, we seldom talk about that. We've made Easter, a celebration of Resurrection Day. We theme that day. But this is not part of our conversation when we refer to the gospel. And so I just, this was my challenge. And I thought, wow, I'm going to be, I'm going to be intentional about just conversationally talk about the amazement of the fact that the grave could not hold Jesus. And God undid what man's unbelief tried to do. And and the truth is, the Holy Spirit will always do that. God will always undo what unbelief tries to put man in bondage in. And so that was just my revelation going through the book of Acts recently. And I wanted to transfer that to you because Larry was just saying, more than ever, it talked about the resurrection. But it's not just the book of Acts talks about that. No, the people in Acts, the use of Acts, those of you who are who are teaching and bringing the good news. That's how they always opened their sermon.
their message, whatever um, was going to follow, followed that. Mm -hmm. Very good. Awesome. 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 Thank you so much. That was profound. <laughs>